Hi, thanks for checking out this message from our River Valley Church family here in Boise, Idaho. We hope that it encourages and inspires you. For more messages, be sure to check out our other podcasts. For more content from River Valley, go to our website, rivervalleyboise.com. Enjoy this message. Good morning. Oh, that was good. Tim, you got them going this morning, huh? Worship team, thank you. Good morning. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. We're going we're gonna to jump right in this morning. As Tim said, we are in 21 days of prayer, and I hope you're praying along with us throughout the week. I will tell you, as we get ready to jump into God's Word this morning, as Tim said, I believe God has something not only for you, but He has something for me this morning. And I want you to know, as we, as we go through God's Word today, I'm preaching to myself this morning, and I hope you get something out of it, but I know, I know God's going to do something in me. But we are going to be in Luke chapter 11. Uh, last week, Tim taught us that what, what God wants us to do as we go into our prayer, the first thing God wants us to do is to have a heart that says, teach us how to pray. And I want us to really enter in today with, Lord, teach us how to pray, teach us how to live a life of prayer, okay? Teach us how to lay the railroad tracks, as Tim said. And if you didn't listen to that message, you can listen back online. But, but that's our heart this morning, is, Lord, teach us how to pray. So let's go before the Father. Oh, Father in heaven, thank you so much for being our Father. We just pause and, and reflect on that, Lord. Thank you that, that Lord, you, you, uh, you are holy, you are good, you are worthy, Lord. We thank you that your kingdom's going to come in this world, Lord. May it come today through the, through the hearing of your word, God. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for your forgiveness. May we have a heart that loves and forgives because you forgave and love us. Lead us, Lord, in the journey of life. It's difficult. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we jump into Luke chapter 11, as we talk about the space of prayer, I want to have two big disclaimers, okay? Number one, prayer is mysterious. Say mysterious. It's mysterious. There is no formula for prayer. Jesus gave us a blueprint right there, which I kind of prayed alongside, Luke chapter 11, Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 6, but there's, there's, no, there's no formula. Number two, when we, Tim and I preach, I, I think we always want to share this heart. Our heart is not to tell you what to think. Our heart is to direct you to God's word and direct you to God so you may go process with him. So I hope this raises some questions in your heart that causes you to stir and go and mine the depths of scripture and to communicate with your heavenly father about what prayer is, okay? So I'm not going to answer all the questions today. I'm going to raise some more questions, all right? Um, Luke chapter 11, verse 1, context of this, it's always important to look at context, is that right before this, we have the parable of the Good Samaritan. Keep that in mind. I'll tell you why later. And we have Mary and Martha, and Jesus is teaching at their house, and he's doing something very specific as he teaches at their house. So I want you to keep those two historical accounts of those events in your mind as we jump into Luke chapter 11, okay? All right. Now, I will say this, I have the gift of overmaking points in Scripture, and today I will exercise that spiritual gift. So get strap on, all right? Strap on. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. We see this all throughout Scripture. He's praying a lot. And when he finished, one of his disciples, I think it's funny Luke doesn't name the disciple because maybe it would have been embarrassing if this one disciple had said this, but the disciple says, Lord, teach us, if you have your Bible, or your phone, underline us, to pray. As John taught his disciples. Now this, this is, we read this in, a, in America today because we're intimidated by prayer and we go, oh yeah, totally, teach us how to pray. But what's crazy is in the culture, the Jewish culture and how they were raised from the time that they could understand and speak, they were taught how to pray over and over and over again a very specific way. 
They were actually memorizing prayers since they were two years old. And in fact, the very prayer that Jesus is going to pray here in in Luke chapter chapter 11, verses 2 through 4, it was a version of something they prayed three times per day, whether you liked it or not. They prayed it. So for them to ask Jesus, teach us how to pray, it's a very odd question. Why are they asking this? And if I, if I could get, read in between the lines here, could I tell you this? I think the reason they're asking Jesus, how should we pray, is because they've seen a bunch of people pray their whole lives, and not much has happened. But when Jesus prayed, guess what? Something happened. So I want our hearts to be in that place this morning. Go to verse 2. Go to verse 2. It says this. And he said to them, and Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father. Everyone say, Father. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Now, some background on this. This is a version of what is called the Amidah. Okay, this is the Amidah, a Jewish prayer that's prayed three times a day. It's still prayed to this day by Orthodox Jews. It was 19 paragraphs long. This is what they have memorized since they were two years old, just so you know. 19 paragraphs long. And what rabbis would do, Jesus was a rabbi who was discipling these 12 men, was they would, they would kind of tweak it to their students and say, this is how we're going to tweak this. This is our version of this and how we pray. And that's what Jesus is doing here. It's interesting. He doesn't give 15 or 19 sections or paragraphs. He gives just one very short section because I believe God wants you to hear this this morning. This prayer can be very simple. It's mysterious, but it can be very simple. And he, he differentiates a certain way, and we'll unpack that a little bit later. He simplifies it, but then he doesn't just give them the blueprint or this thing to memorize and this thing to regurgitate. He starts to give them examples, and, and he wants to make it come alive in their hearts. So what does he do in his very Jesus way? He tells a story. And this story, when, when Jesus tells stories, he's often speaking very extravagantly, hyperbolically, and in this specific instance, in Luke chapter 11, he gives a negative object lesson. He makes something seem worse than it actually is because he wants something to get into our hearts. So what is he trying to encourage through this negative object lesson with all this hyperbole? Look at verse 5. He says, And Jesus said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. So here's the situation. It's midnight, okay? For those of you who have young kids, that, that is a really bad hour because that means typically my baby is crying. I've been in bed by 9 o'clock and she's woken up. Midnight, someone knocks on your door who had been traveling a long journey. We didn't have cars, airplanes, and trains in, in biblical times. They had been journeying in the desert. It's hot. It's uncomfortable. They get in at midnight. They knock on your door. And, and you, out of the honor and shame culture that, that the Jews lived in, the, the very reputation of not only your house, your family, your father, but your entire city was based upon your hospitality to strangers. If you did not give hospitality when someone came in after a long journey, literally your city's name would be just defamed across the nation. We don't understand this. I want you to understand this. Just understand, you, me, do not understand this. We do not. We, we really can't. But I want to try to get that in our hearts that literally it would be such a big deal that someone knocked on your door. 
such a big deal because also um, there was no 24-7 Winco, there was no 24-7 Los Betos, and uh, there was no breakfast burrito at 2 a.m., right? There's no Denny's, there's no IHOP, there's nothing like that. I don't know what your, you know, 2 a.m. fix is, uh, you know, I don't know. But there wasn't a way to go get bread. And if you notice, by the way, those of you who are fans of the keto diet, um, the, the hospitality calls for bread. All right, keto diet didn't float in the first century. In fact, most Jewish rabbis said if the meal did not have bread, it was not a proper meal. So all you bread lovers, amen, okay, carb it up. Verse 7, and he will answer, so the friend will go and knock on the neighbor's door, and the neighbor will answer from within and say this, do not bother me, the door is now shut. Wow. And my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Again, remember, hyperbolic teaching of Jesus, negative object lesson, making it pure worse than it actually is. Because this, this neighbor would have the same responsibility as the friend, but Jesus is, is trying to teach us something here. He's trying to give an example of something here. This is what he says. He says, I tell you, though he will not, no, though the neighbor will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, so he's not going to get up because, hey, we're really good friends and you're in this spot. You need to, you know, have the reputation of our city, uh, be good, and, and I feel that responsibility with you. But no, but because of his shameless audacity, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. I'm going to read that one more time. We're going to center around this verse today. Yet because of his shameless audacity, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Now, Shameless audacity. It's another one of those culture things. We don't quite get this. All right? Shameless audacity is actually a Hebrew word that it, it, it's very, very funky to pronounce. It's called chutzpah. Now, say that with me. We're going to practice on three. Ready? One, two, three. Chutzpah. Chutzpah. Okay? The C is silent. Chutzpah. Shameless audacity, impudence, audacity, cheek, guts, nerve, boldness. There's some other words we could say, but not in church, that, that describe this, right? Some would say persistence, it's translated in the NIV, I think. But this word chutzpah is another word that we don't quite understand. And what Jesus says here is it's not because of the reputation of your city. It's not because of the, the need to be hospitable. It's not because I'm your friend or your neighbor, but it's because of chutzpah, that this man will get up. Again, remember, Jesus is over-making a point here about this. Why is he over-making this point? What is he trying to encourage in your heart and my heart around the space of prayer? And remember, I told you, Good Samaritan and Mary and Martha were before this. Well, think about the Good Samaritan. The chutzpah, the boldness, the shameless audacity of a Samaritan to help a Jewish man on the side of the road he could have been stoned or persecuted or whatever if he had been even near a Jewish man. He goes and he helps that Jewish man. He goes above and beyond. He pays for that Jewish man's medical bills and for his hotel and for his food. Chutzpah. Think about Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus instead of doing what other women did at that time. And, and she's sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his teaching. Women were not allowed to be taught in biblical times. Women were supposed to be in the back preparing things. And Mary's at the feet of Jesus with all the chutzpah in the world, probably surrounded by 20 other men, and she's the only one there, and she has chutzpah. And then Jesus comes in and says, that's how you're to pray. 
interesting. He's not done making his point. Verse 9 says, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Well, Zach, that's the formula. Simple, right? Prayer's easy. Well, we all know that's not true. Verse 11, what father, there's that word again, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, and now keep in mind, we don't understand this, Jewish culture, cleanliness, the, the, the laws of clean and unclean, ritual cleansing was so important. And if you had touched anything or if, you, or if you encountered something that was unclean, you were literally unclean for a week. You had to go through this massive ritual. So what father who would give, well, instead of a fish, which is a clean animal, give his son a serpent, which is an unclean animal? Who would do that? Verse 12, or if his son asks for an egg, which is a nourishing food, a good food, will instead give him a scorpion, which is a deadly animal, very common in the Jewish desert. Verse 13, if you then, I love this, if you then who are evil, thanks Jesus, that's really kind. I didn't know that's how you thought of me. But actually here, the, the Greek word actually means human. Doesn't really, it's poor translation here, human. Human beings who have sinful natures, if you as a human being who has a sinful nature Okay, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more, I love that, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I want to tell you something this morning, church, around the space of prayer. The disciples say, teach me to pray. And what they're really saying, if we're being honest, and if we're being honest with ourselves, when we say, teach me to pray, is teach me how to get my prayers answered. I believe that was their heart, if I could infer that from the text. Teach me how to get my prayers answered, God. Give me the formula. Give me the words. Help me have the amount of faith to move a mountain. Give me the exact how many times do I have to get on my knees or stand and put my hands on how many times do I have to go to church? How many people do I have to be around? Give me the formula so I can have my answers prayer. That's what the disciples are saying, and I'll be honest, that's what I say all the time. Here's what Jesus does with a simple outline, with an object lesson. He doesn't, he doesn't tell them how to get their prayers answered. He just simply reminds them who they're praying to. Let me say that again. He doesn't teach them how to get their prayers answered. He reminds them who they're praying to. You see, we as followers of Jesus, these disciples who are followers of Jesus, we want a formula. We want a contract. Tell me what to do and I'll do it, God, and then I can get this. But what Jesus says is no. See, what we're in is a covenant. And prayer is a living, breathing example of the covenant we have with God. That there, It's not a contract. It's not a formula. You see, when we enter into prayer, our hearts before God need to be to focus on the goodness of God. The goodness of God. He compares a selfish friend to the goodness of God. He compares a human, sinful father to the goodness of God. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Jesus doesn't tell us how to get our prayers answered, church. He reminds us 
who we're praying to. And because of who we're praying to, we can pray with chutzpah. We can pray with shameless audacity, with boldness, with gall, with nerve. We can pray with chutzpah. Chutzpah. But my question is, to you and to me, do I really pray with chutzpah? I just want you to think about that. Take 10 seconds. Do I pray with chutzpah? If I'm honest with you, and I'm going to be, do that this morning whether you like it or not, I don't all the time. When I, as I grew up, and I've been in church since I was seven years old, and I was taught to pray prayers like, God, if you see me, if you have time for me, Lord, Lord, if it be your will, Lord, you're the good physician, God, I, you know, if you, if you want to heal this person, if you want to do this, if you, if you, if you want to come and, and change this person's life, and, and, and those, I'm not condemning myself or anyone that's prayed like that, but I want you to hear me. God wants to do all those things. Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22 are God's will. We're living in the in-between. And his kingdom is coming, his will is being done, but it's not quite all arrived yet. And when we pray without chutzpah, it undermines the power and the will of God because the will of God is good. So we don't need to qualify it and say, God, if you want to do this. God, we know you want to do this. Do it. Chutzpah. Boldness. Prayers that are persistent, that have passion, that aren't safe. I don't pray that way all the time. Why? Why? We read it. There's countless examples in the Bible. But why? Now, there's lots of reasons we can go over, but I'm going to give two. Here's reason number one. We think that God's going to do whatever he wants and our prayers don't matter. Come on, now be honest. This is what we think. Now, I'm going to defeat that right now with Scripture. Are you ready? We're going to go real fast. I'm going to argue that God responds to prayer and that God responds to chutzpah. Luke chapter 5, there's a man with leprosy. And if you want my notes, this is going to go real fast, but if you want my notes, I'll give them to you so you can look up these passages. I encourage you to. Luke chapter 5, there's a man with leprosy. Lepers were not allowed to come within hundreds of feet of anyone. They lived outside in the city because they were unclean. They couldn't touch anyone. And this man with leprosy not only comes within the city, he not only comes around people, he comes within and touches Jesus. He wants to be around Jesus, this holy man. And he falls flat on his face and begs this man named Jesus to heal him. What does Jesus do? He heals him. He responds to his husband. Go to Luke chapter 5. There's, there's a man who's a paralytic, and Jesus is teaching, and his friends go, hey, we have chutzpah. We're going to go, right? We're going to take you, and we're going to go to Jesus. And, and they get there, and they can't get in. Most people would turn around and be done. But they go up on the roof, not their roof, someone else's roof, and they dig a hole. Okay? Hopefully no one's digging a hole today. It's raining. And they dig a hole. And I'm telling you, you don't, we don't understand this, but they could have been arrested. They could have been, I mean, whatever. For digging this hole, they lower him down. And Jesus looks at the man and says, because of your chutzpah, the faith of your friends, you are, you are saved. Pick up your mat and walk. Chutzpah, response. That's two examples. Again, gift of overmaking points. I will do it quickly. Sinful woman, Luke chapter 7. These are all right before Jesus teaches on chutzpah, by the way. These are all leading up. I love the writers of, of or how Luke writes his gospel because he gives so many examples. Luke chapter 7, sinful woman comes before Jesus at a Pharisee's house 
she would not be able to be around the Pharisee's house. She not only is around the house, she comes into the dinner. She's not only in the dinner, she comes to the feet of the man who's the guest of honor. She, she falls at his feet. She weeps on him. She takes an alabaster flask that was costly, probably a year or two's worth of wages. She breaks it, and she anoints him with it. The men say, how dare she be here? Jesus says, no, look at her, chutzpah. Look at her. Response to husband, go, your sins are forgiven. Luke chapter 8, bleeding woman. Again, this, we're not even Luke chapter 11 yet, friends. Okay, Luke chapter 8, bleeding woman. Again, same principle as leprosy. You cannot come around anyone. You are unclean. There's something wrong with you. You've sinned or your fathers or mothers have sinned and you have this ailment and it's your fault. And she pushes through this massive crowd. So all of those people have now become unclean technically. And she touches Jesus who now would be unclean. But what, what the people around understand is that Jesus is clean, outweighs and trumps her unclean. And she's immediately healed. And Jesus says, your faith has saved you. Chutzpah. After, after Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 18, I'm going to do one more. I know you don't want it, but I'm going to do one more, okay? Bar blind Bartimaeus on the road. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's screaming, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And his disciples go, hey, be quiet. We are walking and we're with this guy named Jesus. He's really a big deal. Be quiet. And he says, no, I shouted all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he brings the man to him and goes, what do you want? Duh, I want to see, dude. But he makes him say it out loud. You want to know why? Because he wants to hear it. He wants to hear it. And he says, I want to see. And he says, see. We don't think Jesus responds to chutzpah. That's just five examples from the book of Luke. We go all day. We won't. James chapter 4, I love this. This is Jesus' brother writing this years after Jesus has gone up to heaven. It says, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Hudspa. Have we stopped asking with Hudspa? There's no greater example of Hudspa than children. If you want to learn about Hudspa, just come to my house from about you know, 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. <laughs> when my kids wake up. Traveling with kids is no joke, right? I used to travel with a backpack, now I travel with six bags. One's for my wife and her clothes, the second is for her shoes, and another four are for her bags. Sorry, babe. But we travel with six or seven bags. We get up early in the morning. We get everything prepped. We try to have everything. You know, we got the extra clothes. We've got the diaper bag. We've, we've, you know, we've got just in case there's a blowout because those happen, right? And we're just trying, Lord, let's help us to have a good day. We get to the airport. And before we can even get out of the car, my son, with all his chutzpah in the world, is asking for an on-the-go snack. And he wants this and he wants that. And he wants to carry his own bag. He has no idea that we've been prepping for weeks, that we are already tired, that he's pushed his sister and kicked his sister and bitten his sister that morning three times, and that we are just trying to get through the day. But because he knows that his dad can give him whatever he wants he keeps asking and asking and asking and i'll tell you the truth in those moments at the airport when i don't want to cause a scene i give it to him <laughs> because of his chutzpah if you want to see chutzpah you just come hang out with kai so i'm telling you right now god responds to human prayer and god responds to chutzpah sometimes we need to be reminded of that genesis 18 abraham is negotiating for sodom and gomorrah He's negotiating, saying, God, don't destroy the city. He starts, Lord, if there's 50, if there's 45, God says, okay, if there's 40, if there's 30, he literally negotiates God down, negotiates with the heaven, heavenly king of the universe down to 10 people. Exodus, Moses is there with God. The people are just being the people of Israel, which they are, and God goes, I'm going to destroy them again, and I'm going to start over. And Moses goes, no. 
Remember God, remember your goodness, chutzpah. Second Kings, Hezekiah, this is who we named our son after. Literally, Isaiah walks up and goes, you're going to die in the next couple weeks. He prays before Isaiah can leave the palace. He turns around and goes, God just told me he heard your prayer. Chutzpah. Come on, people, come on, chutzpah. You see, I believe there are things that God wants to do and things he wants to prevent that, he, that happen or don't happen based on our prayer. Jeremiah. God literally tells Jeremiah three times, stop praying for them. I want to punish them. And Jeremiah prays, and God doesn't punish. Ezekiel, thinking about this as we were standing up on Table Rock the other day, is that literally God was looking for someone to stand in the gap to pray for the nation of Israel so he wouldn't bring them into captivity. And there's no one. But God wants to respond to human prayer. But, But why? Why does God want to respond to prayer? Why does, he set, why does he set it up this way? Why do things change when we pray? Because you have to remember that at the heart of God, God wants cooperative participants, trustworthy with his power. I want you to hear that. The way, if you read Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, and the, the commands that God gave to Adam and Eve, which, which come to us, is that he wants cooperative participants, trustworthy with his power. And, and if you have kids... Can I tell you that when you try to get your kids to do something with you, it's a little harder than doing it yourself. Amen? This weekend, um, yesterday, my wife was like, I want some oatmeal cookies that she's on a crazy uh, diet because she's breastfeeding our daughter, and my daughter's got some allergies, and so they've got to be like all these things free. Like, literally, I don't even know how you make it. Um, but she, she tells my son, and my son goes, I want to do it with you, Mom. And I can see the look on her face of like excitement and joy, but like, oh, no. Okay, because now not only do you have to have Kai doing it with her, which, you know, I'm watching, I'm I'm eating over here, and I'm watching, because I'm like, I'm not doing this today. The Raiders are playing, I'm not doing this right now, all right? And literally, it took my wife three times as long, more uh, attention to detail, and even with all that attention to detail, she's got to make sure my daughter, who's sitting on the counter right next to Kai, helping make the cookies and prepare the cookies, and then my son is reaching over, grabbing the brown sugar, grabbing the chocolate chips, and he's taking handfuls and throwing them in, and he's, he's messing up the rest, he's putting too much in. But you know what? You know what I saw? The joy on my wife's face to watch her son take delight in doing something with her. That's how God is with you. You know that? He does not need you to do his will. He wants you to do it with him. You know how cool it is when your prayer is answered? You know how cool it is? He wants you to do it with him. He can do it all by himself. God wants joy for us. He knows that one of the greatest joys we can have is to participate in his work. God is not going to do whatever he wants and not respond to our prayers. Our prayers matter. They change things. Is there a formula? Can I explain it to you? No. All I know is he changes things. Okay, second reason. We don't pray with chutzpah. And I think this one is the biggest one in my heart, and the thing that I've been wrestling with. We don't pray with chutzpah because we don't trust in the goodness of God. What if he doesn't say yes? What if he doesn't answer Do you know in the Garden of Eden, that was why Adam and Eve ate the apple? Because they didn't trust him. They did not trust in the goodness of the Father. They thought he was holding out. 
They thought he was keeping something from them. They thought his way wasn't best. You see, at the heart of every sin lies a lack of trust that God intends the best for us. Let me read that again. At the heart of every single sin lies a lack of trust that God intends the best for us. Can't tell you how many times I've wondered, does God really love me? Does he really have what's best for me, God? How could this be good? Is he, re- is he holding out on me? Is he holding blessing out on me? God, you're not giving me everything that this world has to offer. Is he stopping me? Is he preventing me with his rules and his commands? Or something better? And if you're, if you're thinking that today, which if we're all honest, we've been there, I, I just want you to remember how Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. He tells us not how to get our prayers answered. He reminds us who we're praying to and the character of our Father. The character of our Father. Bring you back to Luke chapter 11. It says, now Jesus is praying in a certain place. When he finished, the disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Remember, this was the Amidah. It was memorized by all these disciples. There were 19 sections. In the Amidah, the first time the word Father is used is in paragraph 5. Paragraph 5. There's four paragraphs, countless sentences, hundreds upon hundreds of words that are qualifying statements. Lord, you're Lord our God, King of the universe. You're the, you're the ruler of heavens. You're the this, you're the that. All these titles for God that these rabbis would have had them say. But when Jesus teaches you and me to pray, he says, start with this simple word, Father. He said to them, when you pray, just say Father. I want this to sink deep down in our hearts this morning. Of all of Jesus' recorded prayers in the Bible, if you read through in the Gospels, every single prayer that Jesus has said that is recorded in one of the Gospels, do you know how it begins? Hmm. Father. Yeah. Not Lord our God, King of the universe, not the one who commands heaven and earth, not the one who laid and, and put the stars and spoke the stars into existence, which is all true. It's all good. He starts our prayer with Father father why I know this is hard for some of us because we might not have a very good paradigm of what a father is we might have a challenge with our father we're going to have a hurt there that just we can't understand that there could be a good father but the reason he starts the prayer with father the reason we can trust in the goodness of God even when circumstances get hard is because he is a good good father and you can trust him One chapter later in in Luke chapter 12, he says to his disciples, Fear not, O little ones, for it is your Father's good pleasure. It is your Father's delight to not just give you a good life, to not just give you some good things, but to give you his kingdom. He wants to give you everything. What does this mean? And really, if we're honest, and you're looking at me today, you go, Zach, you know, these are, these are really good truths you're pulling from Scripture, and I can see that, and I can understand that, and I'm tracking with that. But really, Zach, 
I don't feel that way. I don't feel like what I'm going through is good. I don't feel like my family is going through is good. I don't feel like my marriage is going through is good. I don't feel like my finances are good. I don't feel like um, the circumstances at my job are good. I don't feel that it's good. And I want, I want you to hear something that God's just been working deeply inside of me these last six to eight months. Because I've been in that place. My family's been in that place. Luke chapter 11, verse 13, how he closes this, this little section on prayer and how he teaches his disciples to pray the very thing that he wants to get into their hearts. He gives it us at the end in Luke chapter 11, verse 13. He says, after he talks about all this prayer and this chutzpah and is asking God with bold, shameless audacity, he says this, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give this? This is what he gives to you. This is what he promises you. He does not promise he's going to change the circumstances. He says this, he, he gives gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us Him. Come on. He doesn't give us the healing. He doesn't give us uh, the, the very uh, thing that we want. He gives us Himself. The greatest gift is Him. Paul echoes this in Philippians chapter 4. He says, you know, don't be anxious for anything but in everything by prayer and petition to present our petitions to God. But with thanksgiving, as we present those petitions, here's what Paul says. He doesn't say those petitions will be answered. He doesn't say that Paul was going to get out of jail because Paul never got out of jail. Paul was killed in jail. What he says is this, verse 7 of Philippians chapter 4, that the peace of God will rule in our hearts. That's the promise. That literally, he will be with us. He won't just be with us, he will live inside of us. He promises himself. Because that's the greatest thing he could give us. You know, I think through all the countless heroes of the Bible, and and really, if if we're honest, they, they were heroes, yes, but they were very, very faithless doubters. Think of David. The man after God's own heart, he writes Psalm 23. He says, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. Why? Because he's with us. Didn't say the evil wasn't going to be there. Didn't say the challenge wasn't going to be there. David goes on to have people try to kill him multiple times. He has his own son try to kill him, but he says, I won't fear because you're with me. The greatest gift is his presence. I think about, I think about um, Jesus in John chapter 16, and Jesus is telling his disciples the very last words, and he goes, hey, just so I can encourage you, in this life, I promise you're going to have great challenges. Thanks, God. But then he says, take heart, I have overcome the world. Then later, as he's commissioning them for the rest of their lives, in Matthew 28, verse 20, as he's giving them their charge for the rest of their life, he says, go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them. And then at the very end, he goes, for surely, remember this, surely, disciples, remember this, I am with always, even to the very end of the age. All throughout Scripture, and especially throughout the Gospels, what Jesus is is reminding us of is that he's with us. And if we allow the heart of prayer, the heart of chutzpah, the art of being a shameless audacity, having shameless audacity in our life, if we really allow that to seep down into our hearts, the reason we can do this is because he's with us. We already have the answer to our prayers. We already have it. And if you're like me, sometimes you're tempted to think, but Zach, how can I know this? 
How can I trust really in the goodness of God? How do I know he's actually a good father? Because I see things in this world that are not good. Really, really bad things to really, really innocent people. You know, I just think of 1 John chapter 4. It says, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And here's how we can know and take it to the bank and understand is that when we doubt, when we see things that don't make sense, when we don't have the formula, he sent his son. be the propitiation for our sins. And we can love and have confidence and have chutzpah and pray and trust in the goodness of God because he loved us in this way. Why can you trust in the goodness of God? Why can you pray shameless, bold prayers? It's because of the cross. So I just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. As we wrap up here, we're going to take communion here in a second. And I, I don't know what where you walk in this morning. I had a conversation with a couple people this morning. They're walking through some challenging spaces um, with their health. I don't know what big, bold prayer that you need to bring before God again. I don't know if he needs to touch your heart this morning and remind you that he is your good father, that he, he loves you, that he is with you. I don't know where you're at this morning, but I just want to bring us back, back to the cross. I want to bring us back to a good father who sent his only son to die for us. I want to bring us back to Jesus, who in the Garden of Gethsemane was getting ready to go to the cross. He goes to his good father, and and he asks his good father three times, God, take this from me. And I don't know how many times you've asked God to take this situation from you or to go back and change it. Maybe it's 100 times. Maybe it's 150 times. Maybe it's 1,000 times. What I want you to do this morning, right here in this moment, is I want you to trust in the goodness of God. I want you to pray with shameless audacity. I want you to go before your Father, and I want you to pray for it one more time. I want you to think of that situation right now. Whatever it is in your heart, I know there's something, and I want you to pray for that one more time. Pray to your dad. Pray to your good father. I don't want you to stop praying. If you're, if you're still praying, just don't even listen to my words right now. Just keep praying. But, but a, a, as we think about that one thing, or maybe it's a few things that we need to keep praying or we need to ask God for one more time, we need to go before the presence of our Father. Maybe it's faith in us. But as we do that, I want to give us a tangible object lesson that I think is very important right now is I want to bring us back to the cross. I want to bring us back to the death and resurrection, the assurance of our faith, as Hebrews said, the, the, the down payment of our faith, and is that Jesus went to the cross he died and paid the price. He won the ultimate victory. Thank you, Jesus. So as the worship band just plays here and, and we get ready to take communion, when you're ready and, and when, you, when, you, when you're done praying, I just want you to come up and grab the elements. They'll be up here on the stage. and um, Just go back to your seat and, and do some business with your father. Do some business with king of kings and the lord of lords that tells you just to call him dad and then the worship band will finish and just hold on to those elements and we'll take them together god you're good we love you we just enter in your presence right now we come before the king of kings and the lord of lords who tells us that we can just call him father
Lord, we need your help. But right now, in the midst of our trial, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our doubt, in the midst of our challenges, God, we, we, we don't look at our circumstances and try to understand them, God. We just look at the cross. Lord, make this so real to us today. Some of us have grown up in church our whole life, and we've done this hundreds of times, and it, sometimes it gets, it's mundane, but Lord, make it come alive right now. Make this come alive right now, Lord. The very, the very blood that you poured out, the body that was broken for us, God, make this come alive in our hearts and deposit something so deep in our soul that we can trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, you spend some time praying, but when you're done, just come up and grab the elements, take them back to your seat, and we'll take them together. Thanks again for listening to this message from River Valley Church. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by it? make sure to share it with them this week. Again, for more content from us, please check out our website at rivervalleyboise.com.